For the next two weeks, we are going to be taking the mission statement of our church, Be Loved and Love, and um, unpacking what it means, where it comes from, how do we uh, practice it. So the title of these next two sermons are Be Loved and Love. Be Loved and Love. It's the, it's the very mission statement of our church. It's, it's on our wall. It's everywhere. It's always good to come and, and kind of be reminded of the fundamentals. So that's what we're going to do for the next two weeks. And then in three weeks, we will get back to our series in the book of Judges. And we'll begin once again in the book of Judges. If you have a Bible, you can certainly turn with me. But it's going to be hard because we're going to be bouncing around all throughout the New Testament. Um, sometimes I just like the word to be read over me. So when Ilya read Psalm 91, I just, you know, it's like... My phone's on lock because Wayne tried to get into it four or five times and he couldn't do it. I was like, I'm just going to let Ilya's words just wash over me. It's the word of God, so I, I greatly benefited from that. Um, if you want to just let the words be, be read over you, listen to them, that would be great. If you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, 25 through 28, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, and then 1 John 4, 19. Let me read these three texts. First, Luke 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. This is the last command that Jesus gave to his, to his disciples before ascending to the right hand of God. Here it is. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am all with you always to the end of the age. And lastly, 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Here's a test, okay? You have to, to, to describe the mission statement of these organizations. What is the mission of an NFL football team? Anyone want to take a guess? Win. Win the Super Bowl. Some some teams, they're done. Today's it. Some other teams, like my team, the Dolphins, we're going to keep going on because we're good like that. <laughs> What's the mission of every school? There are teachers in here. There are kids being schooled. What's the mission of every school? It's going to vary from school to school. But ultimately, what's the mission of a school? <laughs> Shame on you. I heard that. <laughs> to teach, to educate. What's the mission of any restaurant? To provide good food, make a good experience, all those sorts of things. Pretty simple when we think about an NFL team, a school, and a restaurant, to think about what they are called to do. But what about the church? What's the mission of the church? We often don't think about the mission of the church. We can be honestly ignorant of this, and we can oftentimes just assume it's based on what we observe in the church. You know, the church worships and the church uh, helps and the church creates a community 
I mean, this is ultimately what we experience in the church, but it's worth asking the question, what's the ultimate end of the church? What's its mission? Some churches might be just to care for its members, whatever. Here's what I want. Uncertainty and ambiguity with regards to the mission of the church is a recipe for disaster. And so this morning, I want to address the mission of our church. Here at the beginning of the year, in the beginning of a new season at Central Hope, I want to address our mission, which is to be loved and love. We're going to unpack this statement, which is incredibly biblically uh, rooted. And we're going, to, we're going to look at this so that we might, with renewed vigor, press into the future with clarity and conviction of our mission statement. This morning, we're going to look at three aspects of its mission. Its foundation, its form, and its function. Those are the three outline pieces. If you like writing notes, those are the three things. The foundation... The form and the function of be loved and love. So first, what is the foundation of be loved and love? The foundation for be loved and love comes from the three biblical texts that were read this morning. The Bible is a very big book. It's a huge book. Mostly of Old Testament, but a little bit of New Testament. If you were to begin to describe how the Bible, like what does the Bible teach? How, how would you even begin to do it? It's kind of difficult. It's a big book. There's 66 books in the Bible. How is there one main theme? Because there's a lot of different authors. How do we understand the Bible? I think the way we can understand the Bible comes from Jesus' uh, conversation with this lawyer in Luke chapter 10. What the Bible calls us to do is simply put a great commandment. The first text we read in Luke 10 captures Jesus affirming the summary of what the law was. It was given to the Jews who were leaving Egypt. The particular statement that the lawyer quotes, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you will love your neighbor as yourself, are statements from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. And these taken together form this great commandment. If you want to understand what the Bible teaches us, how it teaches us to live, simply that, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the great commandment. When we think about the mission statement of Central Hope, to be loved and love, you see in the great commandment a rootedness in love. What, what we see is the foundation of our, of our mission statement, to be loved and love, is rooted in the very great commandment itself. But friends, it's not just the great commandment that forms the foundation of be loved and love. It, it is also formed from the great commission. Now what is the great commission? The great commission is Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is the last command that Jesus gives to his disciples before he ascends to the right hand of God. He has been resurrected, and he gives his disciples this command, which we call the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus' disciples are therefore called to go, make disciples. But this is often missed in that phrase that Jesus said. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. How are we to understand what Jesus commanded his disciples to do? It's quite simple. We look to the great commandment. So the basis of the great commission, this, this mission that Jesus has given to his disciples, it's rooted in the great commandment. So the great commandment and the great commission are deeply connected. We go, we make disciples, we love God, we love neighbors. This is what Jesus has called us to do. So the Great Commandment and the Great Commission form two of the bedrocks of our mission statement. But there's one last verse 
And it's the third verse that I read this morning, 1 John 4, 19, which establishes the foundation of our mission statement. 1 John 4, 19 says, We love because he first loved us. In this passage, what the Apostle John is saying is this, our ability to love, to love God and to love neighbor is predicated on God first loving us. What this text is communicating to us is this. Our ability to do what God has called us to begins with God first moving towards us. Left to yourself, you can do none of it. We love. We do the very thing that the great commandment calls us to do. We do the very commission of Jesus because God first loved us. The phrase, be loved and love, has at its core these three texts. The great commandment, the great commission, and what I call the great comfort. To those of you who love to read about leadership, you might have often stumbled across a man in the 70s who was a great leader. His name was John Wooden. He was the basketball coach of UCLA for 27 years. During his time at UCLA, he won 10 titles including a run of seven straight from 1967 to 1973. And at the heart of his philosophy of coaching was called the Pyramid of Success. There were 15 different blocks that formed this pyramid, and the blocks were labeled things like self-control, cooperation, friendship, team spirit, confidence, and so on. They would be the, the essence of what a good team would be. But throughout, his, throughout the years of his coaching, he tinkered with 12 of the 15 blocks throughout the, his time. He was always looking for ways to make things better, especially with the way that people change and culture changes. But there's one aspect of his pyramid that he never changed. And that was the foundation of his pyramid. The foundation of his pyramid stayed the same. He said this, any structure must be built on a solid foundation and the cornerstones of the foundation are the most significant part of it. And the cornerstones of my structure are industriousness, industriousness and enthusiasm. These three texts that I shared with you summarizes the great commandment, the great commission, and the great comfort are the very foundation of our mission statement, be loved and loved. It is, it is so important that we understand that our mission statement is founded upon these helpful biblical texts, one that helps us understand what God calls us to do as Christians, but also understand that it's founded in the truth of the gospel itself, that God first loved us. So be loved in love, the foundation of it, deeply biblical. And we must see it if we are going to pursue it as we are called to do it. So be loved in love, the foundation, those three texts which we looked at. Let's now turn our attention to the form of be loved and love. When the church first started, some of you guys don't know this, but there's an office space in Hillcrest that I gathered uh, several people together, the, the, the kind of the, the, the initial core group team that helped start the church. There's really one family left, and that's the Acres from that group. And we spent a lot of time talking about those three foundational texts that I just shared with you, the, the Great Commandment, Great Comfort, and Great Commission. And we discussed how we could kind of combine all these things and, into a repeatable phrase that could be clear and understanding of like, what do we do as a church? And most of us in the room with the exception of one man named Josh Ashley, agreed to this particular phrase, love and be loved. We made shirts with the phrase on it. We used to have them. I threw them away because I don't like it anymore. But at the time, we loved it. 
And then when Kate Jeweler ran a, a, a campaign called Love and Be Loved, we're like, okay, we gotta get away from that. Just kidding. We didn't change it because Kate Jeweler ran a campaign called Love and Be Loved. We ran it because of this. Every time I would begin to explain our mission to love and be loved, I had to explain actually what it meant. I would say things like, hey, do you remember what 1 John 4.19 says? We love because he first loved us. Be loved comes always before love. Being loved always comes before love. So if you want to love God, you've got to be loved. And every time I would say it, and I would be doing exactly what our mission statement is now. And what I learned was this. The form of our phrase needs to be changed. Being loved comes before loving. Because left to ourselves, we cannot love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we cannot love our neighbors ourselves. We must be loved. And then I said, oh boy, we got to change everything. We got to change slogans and campaigns. But it made all the difference. We have to understand that being loved comes first. The form, be loved and love, is not an accident. It, 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 it should catch us a little off guard because the gospel catches us off guard. You see, the form of our phrase is intended to capture the beauty and the wonder and the gloriousness of our gospel. That our God, despite our sin, moved towards us. That our God willingly took on flesh and paid the ransom for our sin through his blood. He met this need, giving up himself, loving us, bringing us to himself. It's not because of our love that God loves us. We don't love and then get love. We are loved and then we love. Look, the church is full of problems, lots of them. And I'm not saying our, our, our church is not devoid of that either. We have problems in here too. But of all the problems, I would argue that the greatest problem in the church is this. That we think that we have to love to be loved. The most difficult thing for, for you and for me is to be loved. To allow our needs to be known, our needs to be shared, and our needs to be met. We are full of self-reliance, full of self-righteousness. And we think that these are the only ways that we can be approved, welcomed, cherished, all these things in the church and in life. It's the hardest thing to put be loved at the front. So friends, be loved. This is what Christianity is. It is to passively allow God to love you, not because of what you've done, but because of what he has done for you. The form makes all the difference. Being loved comes first. So we've discussed the foundation of be loved and love. How it's rooted in the most foundational text in all the Bible. We've looked at the form of be loved and love. How, how the form really is intentional. That being loved comes before loving. But I want us to consider how it functionally works. How do we be loved and love? So lastly, be loved and love. The function. In truth, this can take a long time. But this morning, I just want to look at the function of being loved. What I said is probably the greatest struggle of the church today is a willingness to be loved. And I'm going to take the majority of time next week to unpack what it means to love God and to love neighbor. And what that means for us as a church. But for now, we're going to look at what it means to be loved. Love is an endearing term 
for most of us, if not all of us. We whisper it to our spouse and our children. We write it about, about our dearest friends. But what is it exactly? How are we to understand what love is? Biblically, love is simplest, simply put, biblically, it is a process of meeting needs. Love is a process of meeting needs. So what does it mean that God first loved us? It means that he met our greatest needs. That God himself paid our penalty through the death of Jesus. For God so loved the world, John says, that he gave, he gave his one and only son. Jesus was given for us. Jesus, the only begotten son of God. He is a gift. He lived the life we were incapable of living, following God's law, loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as himself. This is what love is. He gave himself for us. Love, simply put, is a process of meeting needs. So the function of being loved, simply put, is this, allowing your needs to be met. If you want to be loved, you must allow your needs to be met. This begs the question, how does this functionally work? There's three different things that I want to touch on. The things I want to touch on is first, knowing your needs. If you want to know what it's like to be loved, know your needs. This is more difficult than you think. In some ways, you can figure out a few of the needs that you have in your life. You need food, you need clothing, you need shelter, you need a job. But here's the thing, knowing our needs is more difficult than you can think for two reasons. You can be ignorant, and you can be deceived. Knowing your needs can be difficult for you. You have to realize this. This pertains to you. If you're thinking about someone down the road from you, this is not them. This is you. You can be ignorant or deceived about your needs. We don't always think about the different aspects of our lives that we need things. There are, there are a couple different ways that we need to, to figure this out. We, first, we need to categorize our needs. You don't just have physical needs and emotional needs. I think, it, at the very least, there's more. You have physical needs, emotional needs, social needs, and spiritual needs. That is who you are as a person. God has made you not as just some body. He has made you as body and soul. And so because of the complexity of who you are, yes, you are complex. You're more complex than a dog, more complex than a cat. You are made in the image of God. You have all of these dynamic needs, physical, emotional, so social, and spiritual needs. And so begin to understand yourself, at least in those four categories, you can begin to understand the needs that you have. I mean, if you're ignorant of your spiritual needs, how are you going to even meet those needs? Allow those needs to be met. Let's just walk through these things. If there's four basic areas of need, physical, emotional, spiritual, and social, let's talk about that. Physically, you need food. But you don't just need food. You need healthy food. You don't need to just need healthy food. You need, you, you need food that, that enables you to live. Kids like to just eat sugar. That's not going to help them live. They need good food. But they don't, you don't just need food, you need breath, movement, touch. You have all these physical needs. Are you allowing those needs to be met physically? Secondly, emotional needs. What are your emotional needs? You need to be able to express how you feel. Not what we feel is always what's true about us, but the ability to express ourselves is very important to our emotional health and, and, and life. If you read the Psalms, the Psalms are constantly pouring out how one feels. It's important that we have these emotional needs to be able to express ourselves. When we're in love, we need the ability to express our love. So we have physical needs. We have emotional needs. How about social needs? You know that you have social needs. 
You know you can't just be alone. Introverts, get over it. You need people. You cannot live by yourself. Socially, we have needs. As Christians, we have the deep need to be in Christian community with one another. Do you know that? Not to pull away, but to be connected, to be known, to have our lives examined by people who love us and are willing to speak truth about our social needs and about our reality of our needs. I mean, if we're not in community, how are we going to be exposed if we're deceived? We have social needs. We have spiritual needs, too. We have spiritual needs that, that can become known through the scriptures and thus the importance of scriptures. So we've got to know our needs. Do you know your needs? I mean, just take those four categories. You can spend time talking to your friends, your spouse, whoever, about the different needs that you have in those four categories. And right there is the beginning of being loved. Knowing those needs. And allowing people to speak into those needs. And that's the beginning of being loved. To know your needs. What are your needs? You can think about that. Process that. But being loved doesn't just come from knowing your needs and ex exposing the, the ignorance and the deception that's a part of our lives. Sharing your needs is also a very important part of that. You can't just keep your needs to yourself. So you need to share your needs. Who do you share your needs with? You share your needs with God and with others. It's quite simple. And this seems risky. Because we have to ask this question, will God accept my humility? Will God accept the needs that I have? And many of us struggle to believe that God wants to hear from us, let alone meets those needs. It's like a parent. When a parent has their child come to them and it's the most ridiculous of requests, it happens all the time. Daddy, can you help me put on my shirt? I'm like, you can do that. And we think that God's frustrated with us when, when, when we come to him with the need to have our shirt put on. God doesn't want to hear that. And it's because we think that we have to we can't burden God with our trivial things. It's just not true. God wants us to come to Him. And He wants us to share our needs with Him. The phrase, love and be loved, that, if you take that form, this is oftentimes what keeps us from coming and, and sharing our needs with God. We think we have to have our ducks in a row. and We, we can't have done this, that, and the other to, to come to God. But that is not, that, that's not the way that God receives us. Throughout Scripture, this, there's this phrase, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So go to God with your needs. Do this in prayer. Follow the psalmist who pours out their heart time and time again of what they feel. Model your life and your prayer after them. Share your needs with God. But not only share with God, share your needs with others. Sharing your needs with others is not easily done. This requires trust. And honestly, you shouldn't share your deepest, darkest needs with everyone. That is just foolish. I'm not asking you to do that. Okay? I'm not asking you to do that. But people need to know your needs. People you trust. If you do not have someone in your life that you're able to share your needs with, I want to encourage you to find people that you find trustworthy and to begin to allow your needs to be known, the deepest needs of your heart, known by them as well. And they can begin to pour truth into either way your heart is deceived or your heart needs. 
If you do not share your needs, and this is all, this is, if you do not share your needs, you cannot be loved. And if you cannot be loved, you cannot love. We must know our needs, and we must share our needs with God and with others. But there's one last thing that is vitally important to being loved, and that's this. The function of love not only is knowing your needs, sharing your needs, the function of being loved is to give thanks. It is so vital that we give thanks. <clears throat> Giving thanks is the natural response of our heart to love coming towards us. You know, all this stuff as parents, we teach our kids when they get a gift, we teach them to say thank you. But when our need is truly met, a true need is met, there is no need to teach people to give thanks. If there is a need that is met in your life, the natural response, oh my gosh, thank you so much. You have no idea how, how, how much I needed that. I didn't know how much I needed that. And you have met my need. Thus, giving thanks becomes one of the basic functions of being loved. Because when we give thanks, we know we've been loved. The function of being loved concludes with that, giving thanks. So as, as a church, how do we function under the idea of being loved? Know your needs, share your needs, and give thanks. In the 1800s, Fyodor Dostoevsky, this Russian writer, wrote the following words. He said this, Deprived of meaningful work, man will go stark, raving mad. I think you could re replace it. With deprived of a meaningful mission, man will go stark, raving mad. And here's the truth about this statement, because I think there's a lot of truth. I think there's a lot of churches in this world that are going mad because they've been deprived of meaningful work. But not central hope. We know what our work is. It's to be loved and love. This is our mission statement. And our mission statement has a rock solid foundation. The great commandment, the great commission, the great comfort. These three texts form this solid foundation. Oh, it cannot be shaken. And our mission statement has a very unique form that communicates the gospel. That God has come in His mercy and His grace and He has loved us, not because of anything we've done, but because He's merciful and gracious. He loved us. And because of that, we love Him and others. We practice being loved through knowing our needs, sharing our needs, and giving thanks. See, church, we shouldn't go start raining that. We should thrive. <coughs> and be a blessed community to each other and to our community because we be loved. Let me pray. Gracious Lord, we give thanks that you have given to us this mission statement. It categorizes so much of what your word uh, describes of who you are and what it is you require of us. So we give thanks that you have not left us with meaningful work. You have given us meaningful work. It's maybe not the work we always think it to be, Humility is not necessarily what we think of when it comes to work and allowing our needs to be known and met. Those are hard. But this is what you've called to us as a church. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would indeed grant to us a humble spirit, that in this humble spirit we would receive grace. For you indeed oppose the proud and give grace to the humble. 
Allow our church, O oh Lord, to be humble, that we in return would bring praise to you and glory to your name. And many in our community, not only in this church, but in this city, would experience your love and mercy as never before. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You all stand.